Deepening understanding, making connections. WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your local community radio station, streaming online at WVEW.org. You are listening to Indigo Radio, Deepening Understanding and Making Connections. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and now on iTunes, Indigo Radio. The views of the show are those of the guests and hosts, not of the radio station itself. We're a group of area educators seeking the understanding through engaging with others and our, in our community and throughout the world. Uh, today we're holding a discussion about the meaning of mental health, mental, mental illness, and the stigma around these issues, and how people cope in our current economic system to get those needs met. We have a lot of folks in the studio today. We're really happy. So we have Anna. Hi. My co-host on the board. I am Anna Milani, and I'm also a local educator. Uh, we have Hannah here in the studio with us, and we have Calvin Moen from Vermont Psychiatric Survivors here in the studio with us, too. Thank you for being with us. And shout out to my niece, Ajne. Hello. Hey, Ajne. <laughs> So, uh, also, it's Daylight Savings, and I just got up this morning and did a little bit of research on Daylight Savings. Good for you. <laughs> Proactive. Because I know it's not about the farmers, and we're always told, like, oh, it's about the farmers. Wait, did you ask Amy when we were walking? Down? <laughs> I should, I should. Amy, what do you, how do you feel about Daylight Savings? Shout out to Amy Frost on, the, on Main Street today. And Justin. Um, so, Daylight Savings time started... Uh, in World War I, and it was said to decrease energy use. What we're told, and often the story we hear, is that it's about the farmers, or sometimes we're told it's about school and school children. Mm. Uh, but actually, it's another way of how time organizes and manages our lives, and I feel like that is so relevant to the theme that we're talking to um, our guests to about today. And actually, what was interesting is that Farmers actually protested the daylight savings time. Uh, and dairy farmers, I found out, are affected the most uh, because the cow's bodies and their, their milk actually really affects or is affected with the time change. And this is interesting is that I found that the golf industry, the barbecue industry, and the petroleum industry were huge backers of daylight saving times legislation, which I think says a lot. And Part of the thought is that when there's more light out, people buy more things. Um, so it's definitely, you know, connected to this economic system that we live in. And oh, did go the ahead, time Miguel. go forward or back? I... It went forward. Okay, got it. So we lost an hour. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna read. I was only laughing because I was thinking I, I sent my brother this thing today that said that um, we lost one hour of the Trump presidency. <laughs> <laughs> So we should be celebrating. Okay, before we go... We're going to get it back in the fall, you know that. True. Good, good point, Cal. Good point. 
Okay, I'm going to just read a short poem that I found online. Uh, it's called Short Daylight Savings Time Poem is the name of it. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. And it's by Kai River. Daylight Savings Time is a love note to capitalism, a corsage on the wrist of consumer culture, a bouquet of yawns for the workers, mm. a rope tying our feet to the cadence of the state. Whoa. So we're going to leave you to think about that. <laughs> That's a lot to think about, Anna. <laughs> and we're going to come back and definitely talk about mental health, stigma, criminalization. We'll be back with Hannah and Cal. This is Billie Holiday. song um that was moonlight it, it's a longer title but i don't have it up it's something about the moonlight <laughs> <laughs> thanks anna by the amazing billy holiday very amazing and actually i saw that broadway show i think it was called billy and it was 
talk about we talked about crying watching TV. It was like the most heartbreaking Broadway show, and I saw it in the middle of the day, and I was like, afterwards I came out into the light, and I was just like, I felt like I had physical pain because her life was so hard, and she herself struggled with a lot of issues and self medicated herself. Um, yeah, it was called um, What a Little Moonlight Can Do. Yeah, 1935. And in relation to that, I just we had a conversation with Calvin the other day, and I want to say, Calvin, I struggle with terminology, and what Calvin told me, third, third, wait, no, what is it called? Third hand diagnosis. Third hand diagnosing. <laughs> so, Calvin, I'm gonna say what I say, and you feel free to correct me. I'll take it. Is that all right? Yeah. Thanks for that invitation. <laughs> um, so I feel like and. Maybe, Hannah, you want to um, jump in on this, but maybe we should just start on talking about what is mental health. Because when I think about the health system, I think that in my head, it's not about going to the doctor. It's about finding ways to be healthy. So it's about access to food, access to clean water, access to housing, the things, access to exercise, that the things that make us healthy, that's what our health system should be. It's not about going to the doctor. So when we say add mental in front of that, that adjective, what do you think that means? What is mental health? I really appreciate that question a lot um, because I don't know, right? Like it is a term that is used in so many different ways to capture so many different ideas. And I tend to just not even use it because mm. I, don't, I don't always know what somebody means. Like a lot of times it's this counterpart to mental illness right mm -hmm. like so you could have mental illness or you could have mental health right or mental health is used to kind of describe like the collection of diagnoses that are in the dsm the diagnostic and statistical manual thanks for defining that yeah so like yeah it, it kind of like stands in for ideas of you know pathology or mental illness or it stands in for you know, just like the ways that we struggle with our moods or our behaviors or our feelings. And like, it just means so many different things. So I like, honestly, hardly ever use it unless I'm talking about the mental health system or the Department of Mental Health, like things that that's their name. But then otherwise, yeah, I try to like, be more thoughtful and articulate about what am I actually talking about? Well, I'm, I guess, I don't know, we talked about dead prez and they, they're on some like, be healthy, like that's their... Uh, mantra but I, so are you saying too that there is no ideal healthy for a human in mind body and spirit or you're just saying that you don't want to use that term because it has so many different meanings well that but like also yeah i i have some critiques of even the idea of mental illness because like mm. so if your mind is that's like what we call this like collection of our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors like how can that be ill mm. in the same way that like your body could be ill like right. that just doesn't compute for me it doesn't make sense Got so it. and also this is hannah here um ill in in uh by what standard right so who's defining that illness um if you're functioning within our capitalist society as we are um you know who's defining that idea of who's ill and who's healthy and you know I think about a lot of mental illness diagnosis such as you know for example ADHD um something you know I I struggle with and uh and how that is uh based around this idea of productivity that people are supposed to be productive in this particular way in our society so 
Yeah, and like who defines those standards is like not even a rhetorical question, right? Like, because we have, you know, like if you think about the American Psychiatric Association or like the people who wrote the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM, um, is people that had like investments in pharmaceutical companies, is people that had like, yeah, really big degrees and white coats. And so we're talking about like a lot Mm. of rich white men for the most part participating in capitalism in this way that like needs to be policed and i feel like didn't the american psychological association just recently say that they won't be present during torture like they they had like these apa people there to like judge like how far they could go with torturing human other human beings which i felt like i was like what um so there's a lot of like intricacies with the the how the state relates to the health system and in this case the mental health system thank you for that i'm I'm, cal in that vein could you tell us about the work that you do yes so i work for an organization called vermont psychiatric survivors it's a statewide nonprofit. our mission is basically the full rights and participation of people who are marginalized because of psychiatric labels um so we do mutual support and advocacy in uh, psychiatric hospitals and in the community. We publish a newspaper called Counterpoint um, that comes out three or four times a year that you can get like all around Brattleboro and all around different parts of the state, actually, like, you know, grocery stores and coffee shops and like it's out there. It's free. Wow. And and we're pretty active uh, in terms of like the legislature in trying to influence uh, laws and policies in in ways that will hopefully benefit our communities. Mm -hmm. Cal, can you just talk a little bit more about CounterPoint? What kind of things are in CounterPoint and who's writing the articles? Yeah, CounterPoint tries to focus on the voices and the experiences of people who are directly impacted by psychiatric harm, um, by the psychiatric system. So there's a lot of like commentary that gets published by by people, you know, about their own experiences. The editor writes most of the news and does like most of the reporting and tries to focus on, uh, yeah, making sure that the voices and the experiences of people who are living through this stuff are the ones that are getting highlighted. And so, yeah, it's news, statewide news that um, is related to, yeah, just anything that affects us. So that could be like, police shootings of people mm. who are believed to be in some kind of crisis. Yes. Um, that could be about stuff that's going on in hospitals or stuff that's going on in prisons. In fact, the current issue that's out right now, the front page story is about a peer-to-peer support program mm. um, starting up in, a, in Vermont prison. So. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit, what is the peer-to-peer support program? Did, how well did I read the article? Um, so <laughs> what I think it is is basically like some of the prisoners have been identified as like being mentors for, I guess, new folks who are coming in. Okay. And um, they're, they're identified by like, I think by the like prison administration or staff or something. But, you know, they go through some training of just like how to do some kind of like emotional support and they're available in that capacity for for each other for other prisoners mm-hmm. yeah i i feel like last last week on the radio we talked a little bit about this i feel like there's such a struggle when we talked about immigration it's, 
it's like I'm always supportive of programs that are good in prison, but then it feels like, ouch, like, <laughs> we want people out of jail. So I feel it's like this double-edged thing. It's like, yeah, there should be writing and education in prison for the incarcerated, but uh, yeah, most people don't need to be incarcerated. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like, Cal, I know that um, we've talked about this before, and just sort of on that note, talking about the criminalization of people that, you know, by society's standards are experiencing mental health issues. And so can you talk, and, and for me, I think I look at it at, um, and I've been, you know, just doing stuff around the criminalization of the poor. And to, to me, that goes hand in hand, that it's often people that are also struggling economically. But can, I know that you have done a little bit of work around that. And can you tell us about what's happening in Vermont and just your thoughts around, um, the idea of prison and people who are suffering that are also placed into prisons. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of talk recently just about the, I guess, like disproportionate number of people in prisons who either had previously been identified as like, you know, having some kind of um, psychiatric diagnosis or trauma or struggling with um, moods or behaviors in in prisons. And I think that you're you know, critique about the the impact of poverty on that is like definitely linked in like the just surveillance of people in poverty is, mm-hmm. you know, just contributes to their involvement in criminal system as well as in the psychiatric system. And there's a lot of ways that those two systems feed into each other and overlap. So yeah, like it's all really just about social control, in my opinion. Like there's behaviors, uh, most of them survival behaviors that can either get criminalized or pathologized. So whatever folks are doing to survive life, whether that is shoplifting for survival or whether that's talking to yourself in the supermarket in order to get yourself through it, like those are behaviors that our culture is really uncomfortable with or that, you know, is potentially actually harmful. And so, like, the way that we negotiate that is to lock people up, put them away, um, punish them in ways that end up perpetuating more trauma and more abuse uh, and don't, in fact, address the kind of root causes of of what the harm was originally. Go ahead, Hannah. Just adding on to that, in, in addition to, I think, the, the mental health institutions functioning as a form of social control, I also see them um, similar to the prison industrial complex functioning as both a, a, a place where, um, where populations are disposed of. There's like this disposability that comes into play, specifically when you think about um, people who are struggling with mental health and um, are, uh, are poor. But there's also um, the fact that a lot of the mental health institutions are for profit. And so there's this whole money making, you know, complex that comes with that as well. Just think about that. So there, there's an economic drive, mm-hmm. not just social control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was looking at, I was reading an article bef- this morning and it was saying that uh, 44 states, in 44 states in the U.S., a jail or prison holds more mentally ill individuals than the largest psych hospitals and that individuals with these diagnoses with as uh, schizophrenic or bipolar 
they're more likely to be in a jail or prison than a hospital. Mm-hmm. They're 10 times more likely. And I know also that there are, um, have been long, like similar issues with psychiatric institutions as there are with jails. And um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the history of that, that going back to when there were first these institutions and the closure of them. Can you talk a little bit about that, Cal? Yeah, just really generally speaking, um, there was a big movement of deinstitutionalization in the like 60s and 70s, where a lot of really big state hospitals um, closed down and uh, people were no longer living their entire lives locked up in like a psychiatric institution. And instead, they were all just kind of dumped out on the street. And they had, you know, most of these folks had been isolated from their communities and from their families for so long that they didn't have a lot of supports except for each other. And so a lot of really radical organizing happened in that moment that, you know, has continued um, until now. But yeah, we, we have definitely just sort of moved the place that folks are warehoused, whose behaviors are, you know, troubling or that we don't understand. Yeah, right. So I guess maybe we should take a quick break. Yeah, let's go to a break. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> We're great. Okay, we are going to play. Um, this is for Cal. We wanna, we're so thankful that Cal is on the show, and we're going to play some Prince, because I know that Calvin is a huge Prince fan. So this is When Doves Cry. Never satisfied 
Okay, that was Prince when doves cry. And I, I'm in a spot where I got to watch the video. That video is so good. <laughs> Prince was taken way too soon. So shout out to Prince. Uh, this is Indigo Radio that you're listening to on WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7, your community radio station. We are here every Sunday from noon to one. Uh, we're lucky to have Calvin and Hannah in the studio with us today. Michaela, I'm going to send it over to you. I'm going to actually ask that question because I think that we're having a mic issue. So, um, and then we'll figure that out. But Hannah, can you tell us a little bit about how the uh, mental health care system has impacted your life? Yeah, can you hear me on this one? Yeah, I can hear okay, you. Great. So, wow, this question is is hard. I don't know where to start exactly. Um, but I is this mic good? Yeah, you're okay. We're having some tech issues here. Um, so. I have been impacted by the mental health system in, in many different capacities, both myself and family. When I was a um, when I was a teenager, I was hospitalized many times, so I went in and out of psychiatric uh, inpatient units and residential units, and also experienced my dad, you know, happening. He was going in and out of the same system, so at the same time, we were both kind of flip-flopping and uh and so experiencing that firsthand gave me insight into you know mental health institutions and as I've gotten older I feel like I've been able to reflect more on those experiences and and um and critique them and and understand you know what's what's going on so yeah that's great thank you for sharing that and how do you feel that your critique has been shaped or influenced by your experience so I guess the I'll I'll go into detail about my experience a little bit, um, but just just so listeners know it, you know it's it's a little intense. So yeah, as a teen, well I guess going back a little bit further, um, as a youth, I I was living with my dad and and we were in uh, we were experiencing really extreme poverty and it had a huge impact on both of our mental health states. And, you know, my dad was a uh, an immigrant from Ireland. He had a green card here in the States. As soon as he started to really struggle with some mental health issues, uh, the safety networks that we hope are in place to support people who are struggling really weren't there for him. Um, so he struggled with, with a lot of different things, including alcoholism. And as a teen, that, you know, was really impacting me and my mental health as well. So... In eighth grade, I, I went, I was hospitalized for the first time for self-injury, um, depression, suicidal ideation, all these things. And shortly after that, my dad was hospitalized for a similar, similar thing. Again, that's that flip-flopping that was happening. And actually, the, the summer before my freshman, my sophomore year of high school, my dad died by suicide. And so I'm a survivor of, of suicide in that way. And... I knew at the time that my dad had been completely uh, neglected by these institutions that are supposed to support him. And um, and I think just as I've gotten older, I've been able to see more and more how his experience as an immigrant, his experience as a poor person it made it so that these these support networks were not accessible, um, and despite despite the fact that he wanted to get 
um, help and support, he was actually unable to. And so in a lot of ways, when I think about his death, I really think about it as not so much a suicide, but more a death by capitalism almost type of situation. And I, I have been able to connect to a lot of other survivors of suicide and mental health. Uh, and, and I know I've heard that that, you know, that's a critique that a lot of people have. I'm seeing Calvin shake his head right now. So Hannah, thank you for sharing that with you. us. I know that that's really hard to talk about and it sounds really painful. And I know that I can't imagine the impact that the system has had on your life in terms of um, the health, mental health system, end quotes. But I'm wondering, can we imagine something different? And if we imagine something different, what would that be? Something that could support you and your dad or, and other people in similar situations? I feel like the other piece to it is, and I don't know how much this helps, but sometimes it does help to know that you're not alone, that so many people are suffering similar situations because most like more than often than not it's not individuals who are who are struggling with poverty it's families families with children um so how can you imagine something different right so so yeah my experience with uh with mental health institutions and and um and these issues has complete has politicized me. Um, it politicized me at a really young age, and it continues to. I believe that there's so much hope out there, and that I, I think I think part of that is it's so important to move from an individual critique to a larger communal critique. So understanding that my experience and the experience of my dad um, and all of the people who I was hospitalized with, you know, we're part of a system and there are amazing support networks within that. And I know that Calvin's involved with that. So maybe I can pass this over to Calvin. Um, Yeah. Are you, are you alluding to the hive? Or yeah, so the Hive Mutual Support Network is um, just this really grassroots kind of loose collection of people who are working to create networks, create relationships, create spaces and infrastructures where we can support each other's survival needs, whatever those might be, in ways that yeah respect you know everyone's needs and, and autonomy in ways that sometimes the um, the systems that are supposed to ensure our safety do not. My critique of a lot of like the social services um, is that there's a lot of paternalism and coercion and just like there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through in order to access the things that we all need to survive. And that, you know, and experiencing those systems is really harmful for a, a lot of people. And so just recognizing a need for alternatives to that and a lot of what we do at The Hive is definitely around um, emotional support. A lot of us who have been doing that organizing are psychiatric survivors or people who have been in the mental health system or impacted by it. And so a lot of our focus does tend to be on yeah, trying to create spaces that are just safe places to be ourselves and talk about things that are really hard without yeah, having anybody kind of step in and try to take over and take control. We've been getting together for about four years and offering different kinds of groups and activities. If you could tell us what a psychiatric survivor is. Yeah. Yeah, I get asked that a lot because it's in the name of the organization that I work for. Um, So if you think about like other other paradigms like um, 
when we talk about abuse survivors, like domestic uh, violence survivors, it's somebody who's experienced experienced harm, experienced abuse, and you know, sur- the term survivor is is a political one, and it's an identity based in um, resilience and in hope. Um, but it does acknowledge and recognize that um, psychiatry has done some people some harm. And then there's other folks who who also use it in um, in the way that I would think of as more like analogous to a cancer survivor, for example. So somebody who's had a condition or an experience that they then survived and that they, you know, similarly like you feel hope and it's part of your identity. So those are two different ways that it commonly gets used. And I guess I tend to emphasize the one that for me is, has that critique of and acknowledgement of um, the harm of psychiatry. Great. I think that we're going to take just a quick break, music break, and um, we'll be right back with Hannah and Cal and myself and Michaela. We're going to play Ray Charles, I Don't Need No Doctor. I don't need no doctor. Cause I know what's ailing me I don't need no doctor, no, no Cause I know what's ailing me I've been too long away from a baby
This is WVEWLP, your community radio station, 107.7, and this is Indigo Radio. And we're here with Calvin and Hannah. And Hannah was talking about her experience, and Calvin was defining what a, a psychiatric survivor is. And and I, I, I have questions, and we can talk about, about the song, Ray Charles, I Don't Need No Doctor, but in, in that discussion i'm wondering about the word identity i struggle with that word identity because it's so individualistic and i wonder about how we situate ourselves historically and how we we can use that word or other words for collective action you know and i don't think they're mutually exclusive but it's kind of like how you feel about mental health. I feel about identity. I'm like, I try not to use that word <laughs> because it comes with it. Sometimes people use their identities for personal gain and also to manipulate and not talk about other things that are also important. So I struggle with the use of it. So could you tell us about that and why you don't need no doctor? Not that doctors aren't good for things, allopathic and alternative. <laughs> So you want me to talk about my use of the word identity? Talk about it all. It's just in a big cauldron, just, Calvin. Just pick it, out just what you what you what pleases dump it you. over myself. <laughs> uh, well, for, so for me, coming to an identity of a psychiatric survivor has been a pretty powerful experience. Mm. Like, especially as opposed to having an identity as a person with a mental illness. That was not something that made me feel mm. powerful or that made me feel like I had a community uh, or that I could be part of a struggle. Mm. And so when I heard other people identifying in this way and I thought, oh, that clicks for me, like that's something that, you know, I want to be a part of, mm. you know, then I kind of jumped on that. That makes so, sense. I guess for me, identity can be useful when it's like something that, yeah, like unites and organizes us. For sure. So this is Hannah responding to that. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Me and Cal were just sitting here and we've known each other for like seven years maybe um, and we've never had this conversation before. Um, and I think part of that for me is that I, first off, I'm not organizing around mental health as much as I would like to be and I'm inspired by your work, Calvin. Mm. But second off, I, I don't think about my um, my experiences with mental health in the past and present as being so much part of my identity, but it has politicized me in, in a really, uh, in a really, you know, moving way. But I guess I haven't really, I, I haven't organized around these issues as an identity-based issue, more around, you know, thinking about, for me personally, thinking about like larger systems that had an impact on how I and, you know, people that I know have gotten caught up in these in these situations. So going back to what Michaela was talking about at the beginning of the issue, um, focusing on, you know, access to food, housing, water, education, and how, um, how, you know, that's where I focus my energy, I guess. And Calvin Chicking. If the radio could pick up on my nodding, like it would be really <laughs> loud out there right now. Yeah. So like a, uh, an example of where sort of this like, organizing around identity completely failed me recently was there's this group of self-identified psychiatric survivors who were saying all this really problematic stuff about trans people Uh because they don't have that bigger picture overall critique. They just have this identity of I was this person who was harmed by this thing. And so 
as I was trying to explain how these things are super connected, there was like an oblivion there about like, why are you talking about that? Because that's not, that has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. So For sure. Yeah. It, it, sometimes it can lead down the road to compartmentalization of issues. And I was just watching the slideshow too. It was about like cultural competency in the classroom. And it went through like multiculturalism and social justice. And then it was like cultural competency as cultural competency as being this like, uh, like higher thing. And I was, and like social justice is just about issues. And I'm like, no, it's not. Justice in itself, I mean, is about changing the world so that we're all equal in my estimation like equity is the goal um, for people to have and not about redistributing wealth or but it's about seeing how we're all connected as humans and that humans are animals I had this talk with my my son four-year-old that humans are animals and that we're all connected in this way and our struggles are all connected and that is just so hard for people to see I mean in the world where people get off for sexual assault by saying they have affluenza I think that we are in a <laughs> we're in a st- struggling time. You know, they're so affluent that they didn't know they couldn't do that. So I I don't know. I think that it's really I'm so happy to have both of you here to have this conversation. I also want to know more about how we can help each other. And you talk about mutual support. And what does that look like? And I don't know, and Hannah, if you feel comfortable sharing like some of the ways that you deal with keeping yourself whole after the experience you've had would be great if you could feel comfortable sharing whatever is on your mind. Do you want to share first? Whomever. So so the question is just about like what it what does mutual support look like and what yeah. how or like how or does how does happen? how does each of us sort of like manage and deal with like being Yeah, and you said human. I mean <laughs> exactly like Ray Charles said he don't need no doctor so like what if this is possibility of mutual support from other humans how does it that don't have degrees how does that happen yeah so I guess I can just like thinking about the ways that I have made sense of my experiences um it had a lot to do with looking at how I'd been impacted negatively by power differential or like the um the loss of my own sense of power like you know a lot of things that we just end up calling trauma Right. Um, And how when we experience this stuff, there's like a really like reasonable reaction that we have to it. You know, like we feel threatened or we feel unsafe or we feel, you know, scared and alone and all these things. And so we respond, you know, we we respond to this stuff. And because humans are such there's such diversity in humans, like we respond in all kinds of ways. And some of those ways are just like not understood by the people around us. And some of those ways look like, you know, can be harmful to ourselves and can be harmful to other people, sure. And they can be like a problem, like our reactions to these threats can be can create problems in our lives. And what I I mean, I think speaking generally, and also just speaking for myself, like what has been the most useful is to be able to make meaning out of our experiences. And so for me, a lot of that meaning happens in community hearing about other people's experiences, being able to share my own, um, sharing in a critique of these like dominant systems that, you know, are oppressing and harming us, being able to put a framework around it where my reactions and my responses are actually like understandable and meaningful 
has made a difference for me between like not wanting to be alive and mm. being able to like be here in this radio station like talking about this stuff right and so yeah for me that happens in community and that's not where it happens for everybody some people it happens like internally or through artistic creative expression or you know always or like a spiritual journey um or you know being inducted into like a spiritual community like there's so many different ways right but like i think it comes down to making meaning and for me meaning has been made among my peers among people who are not trying to give me that meaning like Mm -hmm. tell me what it means but explore it with me yeah well, um, just responding to this, uh, uh, I uh, what was it? Uh, I don't need no doctor. Um, I was saying earlier, um, I love my doctor. Um, I, you know, part of my road to where I'm at now has been taking advantage of the support networks that do exist. And, and for me, that means, uh, you know, psychiatric medication has been something that's just really helped me tremendously. But beyond that, for me, it's, you know, also been a community effort. But really, when I think about my path from, you know, being a a kid to where I'm at now, I think about, you know, how I've both managed to to come to terms with what happened to me individually, but then have used that to mobilize um, Mm. and to to politicize me. Um, So, you know, I went to the <clears throat> Marlboro College Graduate School's uh, ooh, 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 ooh. Spark Big Program. Um, so I work with youth. Um, I'm an educator, and I see my work as an educator as being 100% linked with, you know, what it looks like to proactively uh, dismantle unhealthy mental health institutions <laughs> by just supporting kids and and loving them and mm. um, and telling them that I believe in them um, and also being an educator who's aware of you know other things that might be impacting my students mental health you know that's not just related to their brain uh that there are material realities that we all experience that impact our mental health and and so you know working within education but also working to connect with other community members around these larger issues um that for me have really linked back to material realities because my personal experience was that um, my material reality of, you know, economic poverty um, made it hard to access um, the support that was needed um, in order to uh, thrive as a human being. So how can we actually allow people to have access to what they need to live? And right now, I believe that we are not doing a good job at that (laughs) in our society at large. And it's by design. I mean, I just heard that someone else (laughs) told me the other day that um, that people with different classes, but they use the word classes, socioeconomic status is diversity. Mm. (laughs) And so it's like um, not being hungry is not diversity. It's not okay. But Hannah, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that to the discussion because something that we've been looking at at Vermont Psychiatric Survivors is like, what are the conditions um, surrounding folks, especially like going into the emergency room because there's like a big problem in emergency rooms and, um, you know, the Department of Mental Health is trying to fix that by creating more hospital beds. And what we're trying to do is actually look at what is going on for people when they show up at the emergency room and just out of the informal survey that we've been doing over the last couple of years it's housing it's homelessness 
Like the vast majority of people in the emergency room, they might be showing up because of suicidal ideation, because of not having a place to be, or they might be showing up because of an attempted overdose on whatever, because of not having a safe place to live, food, like all the things that we need. So. And yeah, seeing that firsthand, um, there's no way to turn your back on it once you see what's going on, for me at least. And there is a hospital in Chicago, Illinois, actually Chicago, where, an emer- where they're paying for a certain amount of people who come to the emergency, they call them chronic emergency room, something, I'm missing the word, patients, I guess I could use, that they're paying for their housing. People who come to the emergency room, I think multiple times in a in a month. And so they're paying like $1,000 for this group of people's housing. And it's less expensive than paying to have them come to the emergency room three or four times a week. And the hospital is really, it's going really well. Um, And there was a whole NPR um, segment about how, you know, people just don't have what they need. And that's how they end up in the emergency room. And then that could be a snowball to other negative things as You've mentioned once before, Calvin. We're getting close to the end. Should we play a PSA and then wrap it up? What do you think? Sure. And we're back. This is Indigo Radio, W107.7 LP. Um, and we have Hannah and Calvin in the studio. And um, we're so happy to have you here. And this is such a profound topic. And I know we just scratched the surface of what's going on for so many people in this country and in the world because people don't have their basic needs met. And I feel like that's kind of the crux of what we kind of ended on after and um, before the break. But we're just rounding out the show. Are there any things that our listeners should know, those of us who are educators, those of us who run into people on the street that are struggling? What should we know? What should we do? What, what would be your final like, advice to those of us besides don't diagnose people because you ain't no doctor? <laughs> Wait, 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 but then you don't need no doctor, so it doesn't matter what the diagnosis the doctor gives, right? Am I right about Well, so, right, like, I mean, <laughs> my answer to your initial question was just going to be, like, listen to folks about what their experience is. Um, and so if that's something that your doctor is doing, then, yeah, maybe you have a good relationship with your doctor and that's working for you. And, like, when I decided I didn't need no doctor, it was because the one that ones many that I had been trying to work with were just, like, dismissing me and you know Mm. we're the experts and I didn't get to have any peace in that kind of decision Mm -hmm. so yeah just listen to folks around you like what is their experience meaning to them and how can you like be supportive of that instead of like is what's happening to you for sure Hannah do you have something to add no it's hard to wrap all this up keep the conversation going um think about ways that mental health are interconnected with other with other issues and if you um, are yeah. If you if you run into a person who seems like they're having a hard time, ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they need resources. If they have resources, um, get connected with one another. Don't be afraid to to be a human with other humans. I feel like that's what we're pumped with. Like we're pumped on every from every angle with fear, and that we're taught to be scared of each other. And that is, I feel like a big. Um, I don't want to use the word nemesis, but it's just it's just a horrible thing. And I, and I think it's what they use to make us buy things, to make us feel insecure. And so it's true. Like, don't necessarily be scared. It shouldn't be our, like, knee-jerk response to be scared of other human beings, no matter what they look like or necessarily how they're behaving. But to be aware, but not 
always scared. So I guess we're going out now. Thank you to Hannah and Cal, Calvin. And what are we going out with? We got Nina one minute. Simone. Nina Simone. Oh, another sad, oh, heartbreaking story. Mississippi goddamn? No. <laughs> I wish I knew how to be, feel to be free. I wish I knew how to be free. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Anna says thanks, too, if you can't hear. <laughs>